Think about this. Our brains change. Memory is an amazing. What you think is in our there brains is aren't really finished. They're not fully cooked yet. You go with your heart. You we don't have any idea why yeah, we're, we're doing so smart. most of the things that we're doing. But here's the deal. A little of something is good. A lot must be even better. I'm Art Markman. I'm Bob Duke. I'm Rebecca McEnroy, and this is Two Guys on Your Head. Today, the psychology of leadership and the reason why having more for the sake of having more is motivating. Um, one of the things people miss is that is that great leaders actually need to know a lot in the domain in which they're leading. We overvalue ideas. We often think, well, that they this person had this great idea. And and what we forget is the amount of effort that that is required to bring that idea into the world. So for example, I mean, I talk a lot about about James Dyson and the Dyson vacuum and 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 a lot of the focus is on the idea. He had this great idea to uh, adapt the, saw, uh, the 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 industrial cyclone from a sawmill into a home vacuum cleaner. And then parenthetically, when I tell that story, I point out that he then spent the next five years actually building prototypes until he had one that worked. Okay. But it, it turns out that five-year piece really matters, yeah. right? Yeah. It, if he hadn't spent those five years, it just would have been another really great idea that didn't go anywhere as opposed to something that became the root of a $400 million a year company. So the, that operational piece of being willing to actually sit down and, and implement the thing, that that matters. So, you know, it turns out that not everybody has that that first set of qualities of leadership of of being uh, energetic and self-confident and good com a good communicator. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people don't have those qualities. So that's rare to begin with. So when you have that, you think, I have this, I'm leading this organization and we're succeeding. It must have to do with me, right? now and if you discount the amount of work that has to go on behind the scenes to make this thing a reality then then you you overweight the surface properties of leadership yeah and a lot of times what happens is somebody leads in a um, in a domain in which they know something and so they're able to not only engage in good communication and confidence in establishing a vision, but they understand the domain well enough to also collaborate with other people to, on the operational side of this. Yeah. And then, having been recognized as being a great leader, they get plopped down in some other situation and they, and they say, okay, lead. And they exhibit all of the behaviors that they now think are about leadership. They're confident and they communicate and there's a vision, but they don't know anything about implementing in that domain. And then, you know, th this, this is not unlike the, the other um, misinterpretation of a generalizable skill, which is critical thinking. You know, we think, okay, we're going to have somebody and they're going to think critically. You know, we're going to get through people who really be systematic. Any, anybody who's been to a faculty meeting full of PhDs in the sciences and think, boy, they know how to systematically, well, it's not, it's different domain, you know, and yeah. the idea that we can cross domains and there's this sort of um, transportable entity that is leadership or right. a way of thinking that you can just plug and play into any domain of activity is just a fiction. I, I mean, you have to know some stuff, as Art's saying, and be able to do some stuff in the domain you're functioning in. You can't just sort of plop people into different environments and expect them to function effectively any more than you would take any species that's very successful 
at propagating in some environment and plop it into a different environment and expect it to do well because it, it has survival skills as yeah. if that's a thing. Yeah. But, and, but, it, but, but, I, but I, interestingly, I, remember this started out about charisma, not about yeah. leadership per se. Right. Yeah. It, it, I, I will say one other one one other thing one thing you reminded me of as we were talking about this is is you know this idea of miscalibration yeah. on things is really important. So another another area in which people are miscalibrated. So Chris She um, and a, several of his colleagues at um, at University of Chicago have done a bunch of stuff on what they call over earning, which I really love. Uh-huh. And the idea is that we and this gets back to this idea, Bob, of what you were saying about people thinking, well, if a little of something is good, mm-hmm. a lot must be even better. And so what happens is people will put themselves in situations in which they have to do a little bit of work and they will do way more work than they need to, assuming that if if I could do a little work and get something of a good money or something else, then I could do even more work and get a lot of it without recognizing what they actually need. And they, they did this beautiful set of studies where people had to press buttons and to, to, to do things in a study. So they were listening to music. And if they pressed a button, it gave them noise. So it disrupted the music. And the idea was if you press the button a certain number of times during the study, you would ultimately be rewarded with a candy bar. And the more times you press the button, the more opportunities you had to earn candy bars. And you were told at the beginning of the study, these candy bars you're going to get there's going to be another 10-minute period at the end of the study where you can just listen to music and eat the candy bars. So only earn the candy bars you're going to eat at the end of the study. <laughs> and so what people did was they they pressed the button way too many times. So they disrupted the music that they were listening to at the first half in order to earn more candy bars than they ultimately ate in the second half of the study. So they just assumed I'm just going to get a ton of these candy bars and then they would just, they wouldn't, and then, you know, but you know how it is with candy. At some point you're like, okay, yeah, that was good, but I can't eat another bite. Well, anytime the acquisition of something that you've earned, right, provides a reinforcer for that moment, right? But we could make the same thing about candy bars and the 10 minutes when you get to eat the candy bars listening to music to the money that accumulates in your bank account and the amount of life you have to spend it in. A lot of that has to do with seeing money as a means to accomplish tangible goals and seeing money as a measure of successful accomplishment. And the goals have nothing to do with it, right? I mean, the money becomes the goal, which is a whole different thing about acquiring anything. I mean, if you're saving up for something, and you think, well, I, I want this money because I want to be able to do this thing or or buy this thing or whatever it happens to be. That's a different... Now you see money as some intermediate goal that's going to get you to what you're really going after. But when that relationship starts to fade away, and now the ultimate goal is the money and not money as a tool to get you something else, well, now why wouldn't you want more? Because the money is now reinforcing just for its own sake. Next week, we'll talk about attention spans with Dr. Art Markman and Dr. Bob Duke. David Alvarez is our engineer, and I'm Rebecca McEnroy. I produce Two Guys on Your Head at KUT Radio in Austin, Texas.